Well, good evening. You guys are lively tonight. I mean, it's something in the summer weather. You guys are just buzzing and lively. And it's good that you have a lot of energy because we do something a little different in July on Wednesday nights. My name is Terry Fakes. I'm one of the pastors here. And in this uh, venue, usually throughout the school year, September through May, we have class in here every Wednesday. And we talk about, hopefully, a lot of really interesting biblical topics, take a lot of your questions. But in the summer, we'd have a different schedule at the church, partly because the kids and student ministry are so busy that we don't have Wednesday nights all through the summer. But we do in July. So for the next four weeks, and we do something a little different. We got some of our younger members of the staff, just a lot of energy, and said, hey, what can we do that's a little different and a little more involving people? You know, and so that's what we're going to do these next few weeks, and I think you're, you're really going to like it a lot. I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to involve you in tonight, what's going on tonight, and it's going to involve all of us as we go through the week. If you will stick with us and practice what we talk about in, in your faith walk for these next four weeks, we guarantee you double your money back that you will have a more robust faith. But we're serious about that. We really think you'll have a a much more a deeper walk with Christ. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get started. Lord, we come before you tonight, and we're grateful. We're grateful we live in a land where we can gather together, and we can worship you. We can gather together and learn your truth. We can speak it into a culture that doesn't always want to hear it, but we are free to speak it. We thank you for that, so that your light can be known in this world that so desperately needs it. Thank you for everyone that's here tonight. I pray you'd open our hearts that your Holy Spirit would work inside us to grow our faith. We know that without faith, it's impossible to please you. And so we simply say, Lord, increase our faith. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Well, we've been thinking a little bit lately about what the early church had that the church now needs. And I say that because if you think about the Acts to church. And when I say the Acts 2 church, what we mean is in your Bible in Acts chapter 2, you get a little snapshot of what the early church was like, the early gatherings of believers. And when we read that, we admire it and we understand the power of God's word in those people and why it literally turned the world upside down. Well, we live in a world now that we think this world could use a little turning upside down. It could use a little rerouting, if you will, to get back on a path that leads toward God. So what does that Acts chapter 2 church have that we need? Let me read that passage to you just to remind you. Acts chapter 2 starts in about verse 42. It says, the early believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, it's our Bible, and to the fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, eating together, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together, and they had things in common. Selling their possessions and goods when it was needed, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day, every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord continued to add to their number those who were being saved. Well, we want to jump off from that, and we want to look at this question. Over the next few weeks, we want to talk about recapturing the value of community in our faith. Well, why do we say it that way? Recapturing the value of community in our faith. 
The reason is that our culture, our Western North American United States culture in which we live, is a culture that is fragmenting us. It's dividing us. It's isolating us. That's not one guy's opinion. That's what the statistics, not Christian statistics, not religious statistics, that's what the statistics show is happening in our nation, is that families are dividing. Groups are dividing. We gather together less. We isolate ourselves more. Our levels of anxiety, our levels of depression, loneliness, isolation is something that our culture is doing to us. It happens in a lot of ways, but I want to give you three examples that I know are going to resonate with you. I'm not telling you these are the only three things that cause that, but when I say this, you're going to go, yes, I understand why the statistics are what they are. Why Americans, let's just focus on us for a moment, are more anxious, more depressed, lonelier, having less hope about life than we ever have in our history. One of those factors that I know will resonate with you is social media. And when I say social media, I want to I'll cast a broad net, email. You know, some of you remember the world before email. Oh, if only we could return. Remember email came and it's promised us more efficiency and more leisure time. Anybody have more leisure time because you have email? I don't think so. Email, texting, the various social media platforms, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, or uh, they just propagate now. But they basically are ways to communicate with one another in a way that's not very personal. They've really changed the way we interact with one another. For example, statistics show that millennial generation, which is probably the first generation that literally grew up with this technology. I mean, other generations have adopted it, but I think the millennials are probably the first that literally grew up with this, and statistically, their interpersonal social skills are not as good as historically people were. Well, that's no fault of the millennials. They're not any less smart or any less capable. But that medium has changed the way we interact. I'll give you a great example of this. My own household. Sitting upstairs uh, one day, and I got a text. And I pick up my phone, and I look, and it's from Laura. Well, there's nothing unusual about Laura texting me, except that she was downstairs. And I thought, wow, this has changed the way we interact. So what do I do? I text her back. <laughs> I'm not walking all the way downstairs, you know, to have this conversation. So I texted her back. So we have this perfectly good text conversation when we're maybe 50 yards away from each other. And then here's the topper on this thing. You guys know what emojis are? Emojis are those cute little pictures and, and various things, symbols that you can add to a, any kind of message, really, a text message in this case. And so there are all these emojis. In fact, by the way, did you know they put out an emoji Bible? Okay, I'm on a tangent. But this is interesting. An emoji Bible, and that is you just make all these little symbols and pictures and all and translate the Bible into that. Boy, that's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you talk about having a problem with literacy. Yeah, but anyway... So here's the capper on that, though. So at the end of the conversation that we're having, this intimate conversation, right, 50 yards apart, I text her back, and at the end, I put this little emoji that has two eyes and little, you know, lips puckered up and a little heart coming off, kind of like that, mm, love you. And I realized, 
I just told my wife I loved her with an emoji. I mean, it's like the least personal thing I could do. And that's when it hit me. Social media is an isolating force, and you know that as well as I do. The second thing, I think, that's happening in our culture is the busyness of your lives. I don't even need to say that twice. You know that your life is busier, meaning you have more demands on your time than you ever have had before. But that busyness in our schedule is causing a spiritual attention deficit disorder in our souls. The busyness of our lives leads to spiritual ADHD in the sense that we are so busy trying to keep up or achieve or do the things we need to do or we've overloaded our schedule. We have too many choices sometimes, don't we? Too many good things to do. That has an impact on our soul. It makes us flit spiritually from one thing to another and we never sit with things. And so it shallows out our spiritual life, which has the effect of isolating us. The third thing is the idea of American individualism. And I'm not talking about the pioneer, rough, ready individual who's just going to go make it on their own. I'm talking about individualism in the sense that I want things tailored for me. That's a form of individualism. I knew that this was an issue uh, back in the day when, do you remember magazines, back when magazines were economically feasible? You would get a magazine, and if you were a hunter or you were a bicyclist or a motorcyclist, you kind of had one or two magazines. Then I, re I remember they got the technology and they got the economics down to where you could customize them. So now you had cycling magazines for people who rode this kind of motorcycle. You had hunting for bow hunters and powder hunters and this. In other words, it became more individual. Well, now burst into the online scene. You literally can have things tailored for you. I don't know about you, but I read the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, several other media sources to stay available, but they will let me customize the news I want to see for me. Here are the kinds of stories I want to see. That kind of an individualism is another thing that's kind of isolated us. In fact, there's a great theologian that's commented on this and really made the, this idea very clear. Any of you ever heard of Crocodile Dundee? <laughs> Crocodile Dundee has something to say about this. So I was recently in the archives doing some research, meaning I was watching a Crocodile Dundee movie on TV, and he was, came to New York City. If you remember this, he comes from Australia, comes to New York City. People are busy and isolated and individual, and he kind of begins to have a social commentary on that world. And he's talking with this one lady, and a uh, friend says, you know, she really had a lot of problems and she just finally got it together. He said, oh, what did she do? Well, she went to see a psychiatrist and she just talked it out. And his comment was this. He said, doesn't she have any friends? And I thought, that's an interesting commentary. It's not a commentary against psychologists or psychiatrists, but we kind of live in, a, in, in an era where we're so individual that we're disconnected enough that who do we have that we would share our deepest problems and issues with. So I say all that to make this point. Our culture is isolating us. On the flip side, we read about the Acts 2 church, Christianity is a uniting force. If our lives are individual sports, stop and think about it. We admire individual performers. 
Again, it's an inherently isolating thing. Christianity has always been a team sport. If you look back at the Acts 2 church, they're constantly together. It's always about community. It's helping one another. It's meeting in one another's houses. It's coming together in the temple courts, or what we call church, to be together. Christianity is a team sport. Great example of that, Tour de France. Anybody interested in the Tour de France? You following that? Okay, this illustration's gonna bomb. I'm just <laughs> saying. Okay, so Tour de France, bunch of guys riding bicycles, uh, nine of them on a team. And if you've ever watched it, you're going to have a winner at the end of each day's race. But they're on teams. And you think, well, how can they be on teams? Well, once you learn a little bit about it, you realize they're all working together as a team to get somebody to win the race. Now, they're not always riding together. Sometimes you'll see somebody in the lead on a hill, and you'll see two or three people doing something else. So those riders are are a team, but they're not always together. That's a great illustration of the way Christianity works. What is it that makes them a team? Well, they come together at times, and then they're off doing their own thing at times. In other words, they all have different functions in the team, but they all share the same purpose. They have a same purpose. That's what Christianity is like. We come together at regular frequent intervals, but then we're out into the world as well. So what is it that makes us a community? What makes us a community is that shared belief in the one true God, the truth of his revelation, and our shared purpose to go live that out in life. So while our culture is trying to fragment us, the Acts 2 church is a picture of community. And that's what we want to capture over the next few weeks. Well, how has the church done that? One of the great ways the church has done that is in the book of Psalms. The Psalms in your Old Testament are a songbook, a prayer book. They're the original book of common prayer, if you will, for the church. They've been the uniting force for the church for almost 3,000 years. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into the Psalms a little bit and see what can we learn about community in the church from looking at the Psalms. So we're going to kick off this evening with uh, Josh and Caleb, and Lindsay, and they're going to lead us in some singing and some worship together. And then we're going to explore this idea of prayer. The Psalms focus on four interesting things. Prayer, confession, worship, and celebration. And those are the four things that we're going to focus on. But Josh, how about a little shared worship? Let's all stand this evening. Sing these words with me. Tis so sweet. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, and to know the safe.
Your grace is more Where grace is found Is where you are And where you are Lord, I am free Holiness is Christ in me people said. Amen. You may be seated. Well, in this first session, in the next 20 minutes or so that we have together, I'd like to talk to you about an ancient way to pray. And it's a way that's largely been forgotten. A few of you may even practice this, and a few more of you may have heard of this, but this is actually a very ancient way to pray. And so in this first session on prayer, I want to go back to the Psalms. And that's where we're going to anchor this technique, this practice, this way of expressing our faith. Because you see, we live in a, in a world that comes from a tradition that likes to split things up. We live in a compartmentalized world. So for example, we love singing. 
because it taps into our emotions and we can pour our hearts out to God. It makes us feel. We read God's Word and we learn in our minds and we know Him better. We understand Him better. But sometimes we have a hard time connecting those things, being holistic. It's not just our knowledge. It's not just our feelings. We don't want to isolate those things. We want to put them together. And prayer is the key in doing that. In the book of Psalms, the first psalm, I want to read you the first three verses, and then I want to look at this just a little bit. It said, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way in the manner of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, prosper speaks there to the life that we all want, that rich, full life, the John chapter 10 life that Jesus talked about. He said, I didn't come just to give you life, I came to give you the full life. What did he mean by that? He's talking about this. He's talking about planting a tree by rivers of water and fruit coming out of that. And there are two ideas in this verse, and they both relate to prayer. But let me tell you how. The first one is this idea of meditation. It says, he meditates on his law day and night. That's a very common Old Testament idea. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, remember Deuteronomy 1400 B.C., Moses speaking the law of God to the people. And he says in Deuteronomy 6, he says, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and soul, might, and strength. He says, but then he goes on, he says, and meditate on his law when you get up in the morning and when you go to bed at night and speak to it to your children and speak about it as you're on your way to work, tie it on your hands and put it on your forehead. In other words, immerse yourself in the Word of God. And this idea of meditation is one that we have largely lost. And you know, partly because meditation is really kind of a bad word to Christians. And I understand why. You're sitting there thinking, oh my gosh, is he going to make us cross our legs in that funny thing and, you know, make some motions and meditate? And, you know, meditation is a bad word, if you will, if you understand it in that way, in the kind of popular way of emptying your mind, and that's the key to happiness. Well, I know a lot of people with empty minds, but I don't think they're all that happy, you know? Or... You meditate and look inside yourself for the answers because all of your answers are already inside yourself. They're just waiting to be discovered. I don't know you, but I've looked pretty deep and I still do not know how to fix my garage door. I, the, all my answers are not down here inside me. Well, if we think about meditation that way, well, that's not a Christian idea, is it? But clearly, there is a Christian way of understanding meditation. And here's how I'd like to describe it to you, because we're going to do it. Is I'd like you to think about meditation being what connects studying God's Word, knowing God's Word, which we're certainly told to do, and being able to pray and have that intimate relationship with God. We have a hard time connecting those two things. And meditation, I'm going to suggest to you, is the way to connect our study and our prayer together. I'll give you an example. 
This passage talks about a tree planted by streams that yields its fruit. If you think about it at its most basic, most basic level, a tree is something that takes water and nutrients, but I'm going to stick with the water for a second, it takes water from the stream through the soil and ends up producing fruit. It is a conduit to turn the water into the fruit. But it's more than just an empty conduit because the tree itself grows to produce that fruit. It puts out bigger branches. It puts out more leaves. In other words, the tree itself, what's in between that water and that fruit, it actually is changed in this process. You and I are in that exact same situation. And in fact, your New Testament uses that exact imagery. Think about Jesus. What did he say? What are the, one of the things Jesus said he was? Speaking to the woman at the well, and she said, he said, I'm thirsty, give me some water. And he says, you know what? I can give you something where you'll never thirst again. I'm living water. Well, of course, he's talking about that in an eternal sense, not a small sense of quenching our thirst, but that eternal sense of nourishing our soul, of what a flourishing, full human life looks like. He said, I am the living water. And then in Galatians chapter 5, you read this interesting passage, and a lot of us think about this because we see it. We know it's supposed to be there, but we have a hard time understanding how to get it. And that's the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We see those things and we go, oh yes, those are the fruits of the good life. And over here we see Jesus is the living water. And you know our problem? We, we struggle with how to connect those, how to be that tree that takes in the water and puts out the fruit, if you will, in our lives. We are that exact image that Psalm 1 is talking about. That's what meditation is. Meditation is that step between knowing the Word and praying it to God. You know, Orthodox Jews have a custom, really observant Orthodox Jews, they read through the 150 Psalms in your Bible, and they read through them every 30 days. They read five Psalms every day. And that's a way of taking this in and then letting it change them. And that's what the living water does. We take in Jesus' word, but we have to sit in it. We have to immerse ourselves in it so that it can change us and we can then pray. For me personally, about a year and a half ago, I uh, was in a, in a stressful time in life. One of those times when you're thinking, I'm not seeing that fruit, and I know enough to know that's not God's issue, that's my issue. I've broken the connection a little bit between the living water and the fruit in my life. And so I was given a book of Psalms. Now, this is the same Psalms that are in your Bible, but this happens to be a little crossway uh, publishing, put out a little copy of the Psalms. And knowing, you know, I'm obviously, as Cliff says, educated far beyond my level of obedience, which my wife will certainly affirm, I said, you know, you know what you need to do. You need to take in this living water. You need to immerse yourself in it, and then you need to connect that to God. And so what I've, has been my practice, and this is what I'm going to suggest to you as well, is to take these book of Psalms, and I'd set it by my table. This is from my bedside table. And every night I read one psalm, at least one, sometimes two, but I rarely make it 
through more than one because now I'm getting more immersed in it. And I'll read that psalm and I'll take it into my head and then try to let the roots go down. Like Psalm 1 says, it's like a tree planted by streams of water digs its roots down deeply and I'll just sit with that psalm. Sometimes just a little piece of that psalm. And I begin to ask questions and this is the essence of meditating. In other words, thinking on this, letting it seep in. And so I'll stop, I'll slow down a little bit and just sit with that and ask these questions. You know, what is, what is that psalm or that passage telling me about God? What is this telling me about myself? Am I doing that? Is there something in this that I can praise God for or thank God for? In other words, I just question ask questions of the psalm and interact with it and just sit with that. That's meditating. It's not some strange Eastern practice. It's taking in the word, sitting with it. And one of the great ways for me is just to ask those questions. What is this telling me about God? Do I believe that's true? Am I living like that's true? Is that something I want to thank God for? Is that something I want to ask God for? Is that something I want to just acknowledge to God? Sitting with that psalm and then begin to pray it back to God. Just begin to pray that psalm in my words, in my circumstances, because you see the scripture is true and it means what it means, but it's applicable to every circumstance. When David wrote these psalms about his heart being broken, or about his praise to God, or about his rejoicing, or about his concern, or his worry, or his anxiety, I have different circumstances, but I have exactly the same situation with God. And so these verses are just as true for me as they were in his situation. And so I begin to pray back to God his own words to me, if you will. Meditation, sitting with that, sitting with those things and just letting it soak in. Think about it. Sometimes one word at a time. Every one of those words means something. Slow it down a little bit and let it soak in. And then when you pray it back, I think you're going to see a kind of an intimacy, a kind of a union with God that we rarely experience. We never experience it in our disconnected, isolated, busy kind of life. But in those few moments, every evening, for me, reading it, soaking in it, and praying it back has made all the difference in the world. And that's what we're going to do. As Lindsay and Josh and Caleb come, and we're going to now go into a time of singing and expressing ourselves, and then Cole's going to come and walk us all through how to do this. And that's going to be our challenge, is that we will all begin to do this and watch what a difference it'll make. You know, there's a freedom in this place to where I just want to let you know that you can sit there and think about these words and meditate over them. Um, if you want to stand, feel free to do that. If you want to come to the prayer walls and fill out a prayer, um, you are welcome to do that. So just whatever God kind of calls you to do right now in this moment. But, uh, but let's just focus on him. Let's just meditate on his, his word. and Let us med meditate on this song as well. We're going to sing a song called, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. So let's sing that together.
that first verse one more time. Come thou fount of every blessing. together one of my favorite prayers in the Bible, Psalm 23. So you'll find it in um, the piece of paper that was handed out to you when you came in, and it'll be on the screen as well. But let's together just read this this evening. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're gonna sing this song, and I'd love to just kinda sing it over you right now. As you meditate on these words, put yourself in the shoes of David as he wrote this psalm, kind of reminding himself that yes, surely mercy and love and goodness will follow me all the days of my life, almost as if he was preaching to himself. So I'd love to sing this song over you. Just meditate on these words this evening. He makes me lie down. He restores my soul and leads me on for his name, for his great name. Surely goodness, surely mercy, Right beside me all my days, and I will dwell in 
your house forever and bless your holy name you prepare the table right before me in the presence of my things that we really wanted to do in this series is spend some time learning, some time worshiping, and some time practicing, some time kick-starting what we're going to be doing in community later this week. And so tonight we're going to spend some time in prayer. We've been meditating on this psalm, and now we're going to spend some time praying it together. So what we would love for you to do is to grab one or two people sitting around you, and what we're going to do is we're going to read part of this psalm. And then we're going to spend a minute praying. And the best way to do this in community, it might feel a little bit weird at first, but the best way to do this as a community is to pray this together out loud in your own words. So we'll have a space where you just 
pray what's on your heart or rephrase these or ask those questions. What, what do I need to proclaim about God? Or what is this commanding me to do? Or what am I thankful for? And then after we've had a few seconds of that, I'll pray that prayer for us as well. So we'll do this in three sections through this psalm together, and then we'll close. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Spend a minute praying that together. Father, we are the luckiest people on the planet to have you as our caretaker. Lord, we are like sheep. We go astray. We can't fend for ourselves. We run into all kinds of danger. But Lord, there's so much comfort in knowing that you are watching over us and providing for us. But we know that if we have you, we will lack nothing. Lord, even in the moments where it seems like we're at our wit's end or we've run out of resources, Lord, we know that you care for us. Lord, we know that you lead us to the place of peace. Lord, in a world surrounded by turmoil, Lord, you're the one that brings us beside still waters. Lord, when we've had it, when we had the worst day, when we come to the end of our rope, Lord, you're the one that restores our souls. Lord, we thank you that you lead us in the place that's safe for us and good for us. Lord, thank you that you give us every good gift, not because we're good, but because you're good. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Let's pray that together. Father, there are those in here that are walking through the valley, the shadow of death. Lord, we think about those hopeless moments when it feels like there's never going to be a new normal, 
There's never going to be hope. Lord, we think about the moments where death is staring us in the face. And Father, we know that even in that moment, you are with us. Father, I pray for those who are feeling the weight of that as we read this psalm. Lord, for them, this is not something that we just read in the Bible. This is something that they are living. But we pray that you would prove yourself to them. That even in the valley of the shadow of death, we have no reason to fear evil. Because you are with us. Father, as we sang earlier... It's so sweet to trust you, to prove you over and over and over. Lord, show us that you're with us. Lord, help us to see your guidance in the rod, in the tough times, Lord, in the disciplined times when you're trying to get our attention, when you're trying to pull our hands off the things of the world, and in the staff times when you're comforting us, when you're keeping us away from danger. Lord, we know that you are the greatest comfort. Lord, everything that we could ever want, we praise you for that. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray that together. Father, you say to us in your word that no eye can see, no ear can hear, no mind can conceive what you have in store for those who love you. Father, you tell us here that you prepare a table for us. Oh, do we think of the way that those roles should be arranged? We're the ones that should be serving you. We're the ones that should be preparing for you. But Lord, you spread a table for us. You prepare rich foods for us. Lord, you give us our sustenance when we need it. And not only that, Lord, but in the most unlikely moments is when you tend to show up. We thank you for that. Lord, you anoint us with oil. You make us clean. You do something reserved for kings because of your great love for us. When we think about all of your blessings, Lord, it's too much for us. Too much joy. Too much peace. Lord, we overflow. We want to share what you've done for us with others. Lord, we know that as we follow you, the things that come after you are goodness and mercy and love. But we know that you have given us the promise that nothing can separate us from your love and from your goodness. Nothing that we can encounter on earth, 
Nothing that we can encounter in ourselves. Nothing we can encounter in somebody else. No height, no depth, no nothing can separate us from your love. Lord, we look forward to the day when we get to dwell with you forever. Father, we love the thought of getting to spend eternity in your house. But we pray that you would give us a glimpse of that now as we walk with you each day. Lord, we lift up your son's name. Amen and amen. When you came in, you got two sheets of paper, the note page and then this card. And some of you out there are like, we haven't used this card yet. And this is a challenge for this week. So we really want to recapture the joy that comes in community. This is a powerful moment in here, but it's even more powerful when it happens in your community that you live in each and every day. And so what we want to do this week, we've given you a card that has a portion of the psalm that we just prayed. And there's a lot of things that you can do with this, but our challenge is use this to recapture the power of prayer in your community. Whether that means that you write your version of this on the card and pray it each week, put it in a place that becomes a conversation starter, whether you put it on the dashboard in your car and talk to somebody about it, we want to challenge you to pray the Word of God this week and to do it in your community and see that in community there's joy. Amen. So this is not a challenge. This is an invitation. There are about... Oh, about 500 of you. And this week, every day, read, let it soak in, meditate, think about that psalm, and then pray it back to God. Talk it back to God in your circumstances. And know that everybody in this community is doing the same thing. And you will not believe the power of that. It's a way to take this word and make it deeper and richer in a different way than you have ever experienced. You trust me on that? Enough to do this this week? Do this this week, and then come back next week, and I will know. (laughs) Because you will be glowing. God bless you. We'll see you next week.